Let's pray once again together. Father God, for the mystery of your holy speech through your word, we give you thanks today. And we are dependent now upon the ministry of your Holy Spirit, upon our hearts and in our minds. And so we ask today that the Spirit of God would apply these words in such a way to our hearts that we might grow up into the maturity in Christ that you have called us to. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, looking today at, uh, again, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. This is the third week now that we've looked at this text. And uh, I trust that it will forever be in your heart and your, in, in your mind. Um, it's a rich passage. Well, Peter today is addressing the church. There's a lot of fuzzy thinking about the church in our day. There are a lot of voices that are dismissive about the importance of the church and especially about the importance of the local church. There are writers who will wax eloquently on the invisible church. They will talk about the church without borders, the church without place, the church across denominational lines, but who regard the local and the concrete church as something inferior, even something peripheral to the Lord's kingdom. There are people who teach you that you can belong to the invisible church without belonging to the local church. But you know the apostle never, ever wrote a letter to the invisible church. You know not one of these epistles ever landed on the door of the invisible church with its invisible pastor and its invisible congregation? Is there a mystical body? Of course there is. Does Paul refer to the invisible church of Christ that is above and beyond all these buildings and all these congregations? Yes, he does. But Paul's tireless work, his consuming energy, his prayers and counsel, all his rebukes and his exhortations were all for the church visible, the church concrete, the church that is known by a visible family. The person who belongs to the invisible church only, has only an invisible Christianity. The New Testament church is always local. It's always concrete, definable, locatable. It's the gathering of the Lord's people around the word and around the sacrament. It is the church at Ephesus. It is the church at Smyrna. It is the church in Pergamum. It is the church in Laodicea. It is the church in Philadelphia. It is the church in Lakeview Heights. It is the church in North Glenmore. It is the church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. The church of God in the New Testament is always the local, definable, concrete church. And so Paul commands in Titus elders to be appointed in every town so that every district has overseers to shepherd the people of God, to give instruction in sound doctrine, to rebuke, to exhort, to encourage the people of God and to rebuke all those who contradict the sound doctrine that's being taught. In fact, Paul says to Titus, I want you to be so pastorally involved with these people that their lives, their lives might begin to adorn the doctrine of God. What a wonderful thought is that? That our lives 
the way that we conduct ourselves in the eyes of the world, our lives might become an ornament to the doctrine of God. An ornament is beautiful. An ornament is wonderful. But its purpose is to highlight the beauty of something far more important than itself. The Christmas ornament is a wonderful thing. But it serves to present the beauty of the tree. And so our lives, Paul says, well lived, become ornaments to the teaching about God our Savior. Our lives become something that make people stop to behold the tree. Ornaments of God. And this, Paul says, happens in the church. In this place, as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, as we give ourselves to prayer, as we gather around the Lord's table to feast on the body and blood of the Lord, as we give ourselves fervently to fellowship one with the other in the concrete, local, tangible expression of Christ's body, we are growing up in Christ from immaturity to maturity, from imperfection to perfection. In fact, we are growing up into something that far exceeds our ability to understand. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we are growing up in this church to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ himself. In the church, as we work together in the work of ministry, as each part is working properly in its own fashion, we are growing up into Christ. We are becoming like the Son of God. Always unlike Him in His divinity, yet increasingly like Jesus in His perfect Humanity, And so can you see now the exalted place that the Bible gives to the church? It is the only place on the planet where men and women can be perfected. There are all kinds of wonderful institutions on our planet. We have universities, we have libraries and museums, we have research stations and hospitals, we have courts of law, but there's only one place on this dear earth where we can grow up so as to begin to resemble the Son of God. It's the place where God has appointed pastors and prophets and apostles, evangelists, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the work of serving God, the work of building other people up into God so that we're no longer children of this world living for the toys of this age, but adults in the Lord who have grown up and up and up and up until they begin to breathe the very atmosphere of heaven itself. You've heard me say many times to you, that to me, the church is the dearest place on earth, for it is the household of God. It is the pillar and the buttress of truth, as Paul defines it. It is the place where we participate in the body and in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the place where we grow up into the stature of the Son of God himself. And so Peter today, in chapter 4, urges us urges all believers to devote themselves to the service of the church. Give yourself in service, he says, to the one place where you are going to be built up, 
the one place where your family is going to be built up, the one place where your loved ones are going to be built up into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. And so I want to briefly focus today on on some important ideas that Peter gives us with respect to what this service in the local church looks like. First of all, verse 10, everyone, he says, has received a gift. As each person has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. There is no member of the mystical body of Christ who does not have a gift to contribute to the local expression of the church of God. Paul in Ephesians 4 speaks of the whole body being joined together and held together when each part is doing its work properly. Each part of the church has a work to to do, has a part to play. Each part has something to do in the church. And so church membership without church involvement, church membership without church service is a contradiction in terms for the New Testament. To each is given, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, to each person is given gifts for the common good. And Peter here in chapter 4, each has received a gift. So church attendance without church service is non-biblical Christianity. Church attendance without church service is not the religion of the Bible. It's not to say that all services are alike. Not all gifts are the same. Some are more noticeable. Some are less noticeable. All of them, however, contribute to the common good, the common goal of growing up into Jesus Christ. And so some serve in prayer. Some serve in music gifts, some serve in teaching, some serve in administration, some serve in in evangelism, some serve in making sure that our coffee is hot so that we can fellowship with one another, some serve so that our birthday cake will be cut appropriately so that we can all celebrate together the gifts of God. But all of these different avenues of service are, are, are still one and the same, for the point is that in the church, all serve. Peter says today, in the church all serve. As each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Point number one. Secondly, Peter defines the character of our service that we all do. In verse nine, he writes, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, it's true that some of us have the gift of hospitality in a special way. There are some who shine more conspicuously than others in in extending hospitality. They are hospitality givers. Uh, That's true. But everybody's called to be hospitable. Every one of us is called to the task of hospitality. We're all called to share our goods with our brother or our sister who needs them. Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good, from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Or as we read in 1 John 3, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but let us love in deed and in truth. 
This is hospitality. Our brother or our sister needs something, and we have the means to provide, and so we do it. In fact, this is one of the hallmarks of the church. You remember what they did in those early heady days of the church when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayers and to fellowship uh, together and breaking the bread? They were so absorbed in these things and the awe of God fell upon them. And what did they do? They sold their possessions and they gave to each other as they saw the need apparent. And so Peter, who was there, who was there in those early exciting days of the church, says now to all of these scattered believers, do it gladly. Give your stuff away. Give it with all your heart and with no grumbling. Why? Because that's not yours anyways. Verse number 10. Because you are only good stewards of God's varied grace. Nothing he says that you have is your own. You're stewards. You are caretakers of gifts that belong to someone else, namely to God. He entrusts them to you, and he asks you to use them and to dispense them as he sees fit for the lives that are around you. Now, this cuts right across the grain of our Western individualistic, consumeristic, materialistic, and any number of istics in our society. This cuts right across the grain of what we're taught, that mine means mine. It's my car. It's my house. It's my jacket. It's my suit. It is mine, but it is not yours. It does not belong to you, Peter says. Your money is not yours. Your time is not yours, and your gifts are not yours. They are God's, and he's given these things to you today in trust so that you should use them only wisely for the kingdom. Brothers and sisters today, let me remind us all that every little thing, every iota is about the kingdom. Everything in this life that we have is about the kingdom. Your education is about the kingdom. Your career is about the kingdom. Your time and your energy, your family, it is all for the kingdom of God and it does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord God Almighty. And if there's any doubt in your mind whatsoever, just let me, let me say again the words right from our Lord's lips. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What, what should we do, therefore? Sell your possessions. And give them to those who need them. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief will approach and no moth will destroy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Peter says, give to each other without grumbling. Serve the body of Christ without grumbling. Give of your money. Give of your time. Give of your energy. Give of your gifts. Why? Because these are not yours anyways. They're the masters. And the master bids you to use them for his church. My dear brothers and sisters. Nothing, writes Calvin, is more fitted to correct our murmurings than to remember that we do not give our own. Nothing is more fitted to correct our murmurings than to remember that we do not give our own, but we only dispense what God has committed to us for his purposes. 
That's how we're to serve. And finally today, Peter addresses the service, the particular service of the preaching of the word. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Peter now addresses those whose unique calling and gift it is to, in Paul's words to Titus, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Peter reminds, uh, in chapter 4 here, the elders. He reminds these presbyters of their high calling and of the consequent responsibility that they have. These aren't your words, he says to these leaders. You're not there Sunday by Sunday to ramble and to digress. You're not there to speculate. You're not there to commend yourself or to disparage yourself. You're not there to air your laundry or to air someone else's laundry. You're not there to talk about politics. You are there to be the voice of God, he says. You are handling the very words of God. You, says Peter, are the mouthpiece of God. When you ascend those pulpit steps, you are saying, thus says the Lord. It is no small matter, wrote the old Puritan Richard Baxter, to stand up in the face of a congregation and to deliver a message of salvation or damnation as from the living God. And so Peter sends a message to the pastors of these churches across this scattered region, and he says, remember what it is, pastors, that you are doing. You are the oracles of God. Remember how lofty a thing it is to preach the word and to give yourself accordingly so that you may do and speak what is right. Do you remember what the Lord did to those prophets in the Old Testament who said, Thus saith the Lord, and the Lord wasn't speaking? And so Paul says to Titus, Let your life consist in this, holding firm to the word. Let your life, Titus, consist just in this. I want you, Titus, to hold firm to the word. And he says to Timothy, Timothy, devote yourself to the scriptures. Timothy, don't neglect the gift of teaching that you've been given, but devote yourself to the reading of the word. Because, Timothy, if you persist in this, and if you are true in this, you will not only save your soul, but you will save the souls of your hearers. My brothers and sisters, today on this first anniversary Sunday of Christ Church, let me say to you that I am called to speak the oracles of God. And so my life is to be simply this, to devote myself to the scriptures so that Sunday by Sunday you can hear God's voice and not my own. My call is to separate myself and my life to the word so that when people come to Christ Church, they're not impressed by any of us. They're not impressed by our plans or by our activities, but what they are impressed by is the sacred majesty of the voice of God. They're moved by the sound of the everlasting gospel. They come here and they say, Surely God is among you, for they hear the trembling and the rumbling of the voice of God. Speak as if with the oracles of God. The apostles in the early church were tugged this way. And they were tugged that way into all manner of different activities. And finally they said, it's not right. It's not right that we should give ourselves to waiting on tables. And therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves. We will set apart ourselves. We will sanctify ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And in all of this service, 
that Peter is admonishing us to. Performed in the strength that God gives us, in the way that God wants us to do it. In all of this, God, he says, will be glorified. He closes the passage today. That God in everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And let me encourage you with this finally today. God is glorified in your service. God is honored. God is magnified. God is exalted and he's lifted up when you give yourself to the church. And so I see what Peter is doing here. He's raising the stakes even higher. Your service to the church is connected to the glory of God. Now, would any of us dare rob God of his glory? Would any of us strive to limit the display of the brightness of God? When you serve the church, Peter says, you display the excellence of God. And which of you today would not want to do that? Say, oh, Father, you do not need to be glorified. But this is how it happens. We serve the Lord in the church. We give ourselves, we give our time, our energy, our money, our goods, our very life to the body of Christ, to the church, to the place where we realize our salvation, where we grow up into maturity, into the full stature of Jesus Christ. And as we begin to look like the Lord, as we begin to resemble our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, God is magnified in us but only as you serve the church. So God give us grace today, all of us, to recognize and to remember the lofty and noble and honored role of the church and service to it. This is the place where we are brought up into our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the only place on earth where this happens. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.